James Bond. Tell me about your history with James Bond, sir. Uh, multifarious, my friend. I got into it. Uh, I got into reading all the books back when I was in like um, junior junior high school into high school that time period there. And uh, but before that, you know, like had watched some Roger Moore stuff at the movie theaters, uh, mostly drive-ins, as I recall. You know, big on that. Uh, yeah, you know, I've been, and like I said, just became a big fan. I read everything. I think I read everything that Ian Fleming ever wrote on the subject. So. On James Bond specifically. Yeah, yeah. The guy who came up with, uh, for, I guess, for our listeners who don't know, Ian Fleming's the guy who invented the James Bond character and sort of the, and uh, in that now there's a whole mythos and canon and all that kind of nonsense going on. But uh, well, mythos and canon. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, just a bunch of you know, a bunch of books, very straightforward, um, sexy spying. He also wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yes, he did. Yes, I did. Which, oddly enough, <clears throat> I think having uh, having watched that movie, having watched it, watching that movie after knowing that fact makes it a different movie. Why? Uh, because you could just kind of spot like like the uh, you could spot sort of the James Bondisms in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang once you once you know that fact. That's uh, pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of, of mythos around. Um, around Ian Fleming because he himself um, worked in the Secret Service. Uh, yeah, during World War II, I believe he was, uh, I believe he was Navy, Navy Intelligence, but, he, uh, but I think he worked for MI6 also. I'm not entirely sure about his connection on that one. Yeah, and there's some... I mean, he, he would claim, I think, I think uh, falsely, that a great majority of the early books took like 90... I'm, I'm directly quoting him, or nearly took 90% of it from his own actions, and it's so intensely yeah, bullshit. it sounds like such horseshit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unbelievable amount of horseshit. There's a great documentary on, on his writing place in uh, Jamaica, I guess, uh, and uh, the whole area where he wrote from, and his, his strict kind of Hemingway-esque... Um, you know, a schedule and, and ritual and, and routine. And he seems like an interesting guy, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the books, I read about four or five of them in uh, junior high, I think, mostly. There's something about it, I think, the James Bond character that, that's very appealing uh, to boys and to men. And it, it, it has to do with the same stuff. Like, for me, I read all of the Hardy Boys, like all 75 Hardy Boys. So that was like in fifth grade or something. Um, but this is about the same time um, they were showing uh, in the afternoons during the summers uh, reruns of um, The Saint. Oh, right. Right? And yeah. um, so there's The Saint. There's like uh, that whole 60s, like The Avengers. Mm -hmm. I would say it's also in there. Um, and then uh, I had a big, I've always had a big heart on for The Prisoner, which is kind of a variant of the whole thing. But also like uh, Patrick McGowan's. Um, Danger Man or Secret Agent Man? I think it was called one or the other, depending on what. I think it was Secret Agent Man. I, I know it as Secret Agent. It's Man. called yeah. both. It's called Danger Man. I think in in Britain, uh -huh. and they did, okay. for whatever reason they changed the name here. But, but you know, so there's there's a whole appeal to it, and 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 it, you know that's that's a pretty big spectrum spectrum, if you will, not specter, and it's mm -hmm. it's. You know, it has something to do with our desire for um, the bookcases that move and reveal a bar or a secret passageway or a safe room or the, the this that doubles as that, right? That's I think, I think in a sense it's like uh, it's almost like an updating of sort of the Victorian murder mystery situation, like the Agatha Christie novel. Yeah. It's, it's an updated, it's with, uh, it's with new uh, like technology and toys and, you know, played out on a, you know, played out on, on the global scale like that. I th that's, I, 
Yeah, that's what I would sort of most equate it to. And I have to say, I think as a writer, I think Ian Fleming was 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 a, was a very competent writer. He's not my favorite, you know, yep. not the best writer on sure. the planet. And uh, I think I read some, I read uh, like some, something, some, I can't remember who it was, uh, fuck. Um, but they said that he, he didn't write art, but he wrote with a sense of art. There was a sense of art in his writing. So, well, um, and, and, and the thing about it is also like in, in a lot of senses, he also made uh, stuff that was, that was visually arresting and made for good movies. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in the same way, well, I wonder... could make for good movies. Had he, um, had he lived past the age of, I think, 53 or so, he was a heavy drinker and smoker, um, yeah. I, I wonder what we would have seen from him as a sort of collection, as, as a whole spectrum. Sorry to be, use that word, but, but because I'm thinking of someone like Stephen King when I think of, of, of Ian Fleming, in that the competency... Um, of the writing is formulaic, but but works. You sort of plug it in, right? And and yeah, yeah. one of the things I really liked about the book, suh, that I think um, even the best of the James Bond movies don't capture as well is um, something that was very digestible in, in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, and that was introduce a character even as a minor character that starts the book. You get the backstory to how they got there, what their intention is, why it's okay that they're going to die. And, and, of course, the movies can never really capture that. And so what they have to do is, is almost it's like a small self-parody, like, because all we get is the character. And so it's, it's natural that even though the, book, the books are, have camp to them, too, but the films are almost well, sure. necessarily campy because it, there's a truncated sense of all the characters except for James Bond and, you know. Perhaps well, and there's also course. like, uh, and this the, one of the things that sort of appealed to me about like all of his books is there is like, uh, there's a part of me that just loves absorbing weird pieces of trivia and little bits of information. Yeah. And a James Bond book is an interesting place to learn something you had no fucking idea about. Like, I did not yeah. know that Jamaica had a huge, chi- like, had a large Chinese population in, that had interbred with the with the people in Jamaica. And how would I even know that? I wouldn't. You, you wouldn't catch that on any movie or any TV. You'd never seen a documentary about that fact. But that became clear when, uh, I, yeah, so I think reading Dr. No, during the, the first time I read the book, I was like, oh, that's fucking interesting. And it comes, and you see all Chinese people all over the place in the movie, but that fact never really comes through. Yeah, and I, I think also it's, um, uh, he may have sort of fathered this or pioneered this aspect of the, the thriller, let's say. I don't know that these are thrillers, but they're adjacent to, to, to modern day thrillers. And so it's like, uh, I remember reading a book, a uh, series by Robert Wilson, and he, I think he's a great, you know, modern day quasi spy thriller writer. And it's like the first thing you'll learn is like about Wolfsbane, this certain metallic material that's produced in Portugal. And you're like, what the fuck? Oh, that's going to be the, the centerpiece, you know, uh, um, that, that creates all these sort of foils or these relationships. So yeah. uh, I think Ian Fleming, as a writer, was really good at that. And then, you know, of course, it's interesting because he died, I want to say 64 or 65, and there were t- like two, maybe the third Bond film, which I think was Thunderball. Well, Dr. Note came out in 62. Right, 62, then From Russia With Love, then Thunderball. And, and right. I, I don't know if Thunderball, then, outlived, uh, he outlived Thunderball or not, but it's right on that margin. Right. But, but, but I, I, you know, it's hard to know what he, well, we can know what he thought about it because his original, I guess, uh, uh, pick was David Niven. Ironically, right to play James Bond. Uh, although I think, and I'll talk about this later. Maybe you can talk about it too. Like who you think probably was a more natural choice. I think Cary Grant was a fucking great choice for James Bond. Cary Grant would have been a good choice. Um, 
I, I want to say there was actually somebody that he. I think there was a, there was an actor that he actually had in mind. I can't remember who the fuck David that Niven. Was. Specifically, David Niven. It was somebody else. David Niven. Hmm, okay. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll 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 give I'll give you that one. But he was super satisfied, even though he he wasn't satisfied with the choice of Sean Connery. But once he saw Doctor No, he was satisfied with the choice of Sean Connery. And yeah. And so why don't we talk about whether we're satisfied with Doctor No or the choice of, of Sean Connery? Because to some extent, it's not just James Bond. This episode is about like the sort of the main event of Bond versus Bond, right? Which is going to be Sean Connery and Roger Moore. And this is another great reason to become a Patreon subscriber because right after this, we're doing the undercard, which is the other James Bonds up to 1980, which we'll talk about there. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, Dr. No. Let's talk about Sean Connery. Like Sean Connery, god damn it! Like I, 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 the thing about Sean Connery is, is I kind of, I, he's so mythical. I kind of want to sort of poke holes in in the myth of Sean Connery as James Bond. But this movie is kind of why, like this right here, is why you want. I honestly think this movie sets the sets the scene for Sean Connery as the as the legitimate James Bond, maybe the best of all time, and maybe maybe the best movie. Ah. Okay. Um, in fact, before I respond to that, I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna do a share screen with you because I thought this would be an interesting clip. You're probably familiar with it. Um, and this is Sean Connery later on interview. Do you see it by Barbara Walters? Yes. Do you know this one? Stay tuned. It has a great twist at the end. No, go for it. Go ahead. You did an interview in which you said it's not the worst thing to slap a woman now and then. As I remember, you said you don't do it with a clenched fist. It's better to do it with an open hand. Mm. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't I, love that. I haven't changed my opinion. You haven't? No, not at all. You think it's good to slap a woman? No, I don't think it's good. You I don't think, think it's bad? Must, I don't think it's that bad. I think that it depends entirely on the circumstances and if it merits it. Yeah. Well, what would merit it? Well, if you have tried everything else, and women are pretty good at this, they, they can't leave it alone. Yeah? They don't they want to have the, the, the last word, and you give them the last word, but they're not happy with the last word. They want to say it again and, and get into a really provocative situation. Then I think it's absolutely right. What would... So that's uh, Sean Connery, and um, that's fine. I think actually what's interesting about it is it's. Oh. Sorry, blood onto another uh, YouTube there. I YouTube, think get away from you. Yeah, I think what's really interesting um, about that. No, I'm going to save it. I, 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 there's a point. I want to thread that in later on. Talk to me about. Um, Are you just trying to kill my chances at running for the presidency ever? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> Don't tempt, oh, wait, don't wait. tempt me with comments, Tom. But but uh, let's talk about Doctor No. Let's. I mean, first of all, it wasn't the first James Bond movie. I think Casino Royale was the first James Bond movie. Doctor No was the first one turned into a movie. It has apparently like some sort of vapor trails of some others mixed into the screenplay a little bit. It keeps the main thread of Doctor No, the book, but mm-hmm. but makes references to things like Spectre, which was not introduced until mm-hmm. later so on. Thunderball. Yeah. So so. Um, you're right. There was there was originally a Casino Royale, like 1954, right? There's a couple of books before Doctor No. Doctor No is like uh, the, the third or fourth okay. book, but you know, whatever. It's chosen as the first. No, no, book. I'm talking about a movie. I think there was a movie in '54 that was that might have been Casino Royale. I'd never heard of this. That's kind of, that. So there'd be three Casino Royales at this point. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Well, yeah. that's kind of interesting. I had no idea. But but uh, going back to to the the plot here, um, as a lot of James Bond stories start out, an agent goes missing. 
an agent goes missing. And the, the first like third of any James Bond movie is just sort of putting together kind of his bona fides, how cool James Bond. I think it's all about, I think the first third of any decent James Bond movie is just establishing kind of how cool he is. Yeah. Um, yeah, which, for sure. Yeah. And of course, you know, setting up the basis of the plot, which inevitably, as you said, has a, you know, a, um, a spy goes missing and then they send James out to find out what's going on. And he actually, this movie, this which is interesting about this one more so than a lot of the other movies is that it really sort of plays to the uh, kind of the detective angle of James, of James as James Bond. Like he really is sort of like acting more or less in the capacity as a detective for the first half of the movie or more uh, before bringing down the hammer and using that 007 license to kill. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, agent goes missing. Um, let me show. Let's show my credentials as a badass. Let's get. Um, it's not M. Who's who's the specialist introduced later on? The the, the inventor, you know. Uh, oh, that's Q. Q, right? Um, let me let me show the gadgets. Um, let's get you there. Let's have you run into uh, another agent who's with some other branch or some other government. Um, oftentimes confused as the enemy, but it turns out to be he's working with you. Um, in pursuit of um, uh, someone, you there's a woman, but it turns out that's not the main woman. It's a dispensable one or disposable one, and then there's the Bond woman. It's like almost every film has that quality to it. And no, I'm not knocking it. I'm just trying to like actually. Oh, I mean, maybe, there's a, there's a, okay. So there's a very distinct sort of formula. Most of most of the good formulas were set up by Doctor No, I think. Right. Uh, and and that's that. You, you, I mean, you just basically uh, gave the uh, the analysis of that formula right there. That's yeah. true. Um, and of course, one of the one of the indispensable means by which we prove uh, what a badass he is yeah. is how women. Just just kind of throw their vaginas at him throughout the movie. Always, well, I mean, but but what the interesting part is, there's always a begrudging. I mean, yes, it's been parodied, parodied many times about how he runs into women and and who are not the main woman, and they yeah. fall immediately for him, and he sleeps with a couple along the way. But the mm-hmm. main, the Bond girl, if you will, always has a little resistance. She's a little yeah, well, hellcat right, at first. Yeah, she's got a little a little bit of pushback on it. Mm, uh, so and then at the end, we get the we get the leave me alone, Q. I'm banging this lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's sent down to Jamaica to, to follow up on the disappearance of uh, one of the agents and the agent's secretary. And then yeah. there's a sort of like Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii mythology that follows, right? There's like a, uh, there's an evil island with a doctor and it's like all the, the natives, all the black natives, of course, are like, we, we don't know. We won't go near that island, you know. It's spooky and, and filled with the ghosts. Well, that's another one. That's another, the kind of step and fetch it is a, is a, a consistent thing, I think, probably through the mid-70s in, in Bond films. Oh, yeah. We'll go into that, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. Well, but, definitely the second film, but... but, but uh, oh, yeah. I mean, let, let's be honest. Like, definitely, uh, these are products of their time and space. Like, these oh. are, they're like, these like these were written in like mostly in the fifties, yeah, uh, by a British by a British guy who, yeah. So so political political correctness is not on the agenda by any stretch of the imagination. No 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 for sure. But I'm just saying. And, and black people are every you know everybody of a, of an ethnicity with with the exception of Doctor No himself is pretty much you know, an aborigine of some kind. Well, but also consider that even the Doctor No or Goldfinger, whoever you're talking about in a film, the the uh, the villain 
is a, if it's a bit of a dumb dumb himself because I mean it's become a sort of like satirical trope now. Before I die, tell me what you were planning to do. All right, Mr. Bond, let me lay out my evil plan for you and the audience. It's which it, is why one of the greatest lines from Bond. One of the things that made it so difficult was trying to figure out which Sean Connery Bond to go with. Just arbitrarily, I think I said I made the pick on this one, and I went with Doctor No because it's the first. It kind of sets everything up. Yeah. But Goldfinger was definitely a candidate from there. And the great line from Goldfinger, of course, is "No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, he does find out the evil the evil plot, but he does it through different means. He isn't told <laughs> by Goldfinger. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the issues is that the. Um... Okay. Well, well, first of all, let's talk about Jack hey, Lord. Before we go any further, how's my audio? Because your audio just went down. It's fine. Are you still there? Is it okay? I'm here. I mean, is my audio okay now? Yeah, I can hear you, but it's but but you, you dropped like by half. But is it still dropped? Is what I'm saying. Yeah. That's on your end then. Well, nothing. Oh, yeah. cha- nothing changed here. I mean, still the same guy, speaking the same thing. So it's got to be on your end. Turn up the volume, okay, sir. Pump it up, sir. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, roadblock. <laughs> Where were we? I, I don't know. I, I was talking about um, Jack Lord from, from Hawaii Five O. Comes in as, as the American um, agent who's been working on the Dr. No case. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. No has an island. Uh, I, for, I already forget what he's producing. Is it a satellite or something? This is how interchangeable things are. Yeah, yeah. no, he's got a satellite, and he, what he's trying to do is fuck with the Cape Canaveral launch. But I don't understand. Here's, what I, here's where it starts to fall apart for me. I mean, because I, mm-hmm. you, you have to be willing to accept so much in a James Bond movie. <laughs> but it's, it's like the, the idea is that Dr. No has this sort of mythical dragon that's been keeping everyone from investigating, and it's like, but... It's clearly a tractor. I mean, it's like it's not even like not clearly what it is—a tractor yeah. that someone's like paper mache eyes onto. So I don't really understand. It, it, <laughs> there's only so much suspension of disbelief I can do, and that's where it loses me a little bit. Uh, yeah, and I think that's pretty much like endemic all the way across. Like nobody but James Bond is actually, re- and the villain mostly, uh, are even sort of mostly competent, except again the villain and sometimes the villain's henchman. Uh, but everybody else is just a child, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, black, white doesn't matter. Uh, typically yeah. black, um, and uh, and uh, the and the Bond girl. The Bond girl is is very seldom incredibly smart, and in this case, Honey Rider. <laughs> Oddly enough, I think she got away with one of the better names for a. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always pussy galore and a lot of cunnilingus. You know? It's a really interesting um, thing to go back to. It's like a footprint of of uh, male um, horniness, I guess, because she is a strikingly beautiful head, and her oh. bo- and her body is a bleh. I mean, it's just it's like she's got like a microwave um, shelf ass. It's as flat as a fucking pancake and as yeah, boxy as a fucking. But yeah, the she, front of it's not bad. The front of her is not bad, Joseph. I'm not sure where you're going on that. I mean, it, well, that may not be her fault because she, she's diapered in a fucking 1962 bikini, which looks like insane. So, yeah. yeah, there's really nothing about her that screams like this is the ultimate Bond woman. It, and I, I think mean, that in, uh, I want to say it was in 2003 that that bikini went, uh, like, was auctioned off for like $50,000 or something like mm, that. Mm. Um, so I don't. I'm laundered between times. I don't, <laughs> I don't find her particularly compelling, and normally that wouldn't be a big deal, except that I think after our time period, after the 1980 cutoff, there were Bond girls who were actually interesting. 
And it's like, why can't they be interesting? You know, there's, right. it's sort of like a missed opportunity for them to be interesting since, since there's always that sort of um, uh, prerequisite of a, of a sexy girl who's, who's usually a minority who gets disposed of in a Bond film after he sleeps with them. So it's sort of like if you're already saying there are the disposables here, the one who's not disposable should have some other quality than being white probably. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Am I asking too much? Yeah, I think, but 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 the thing is, is that once we get past uh, 1980, you know, our cutoff time, yep. we're we're out of the canon of like actually Ian Fleming books, and Ian mostly, Fleming mostly, mostly, yeah, mostly. But Ian Fleming wrote very specifically um, towards his intended audience, which was the male of the 1950s and early 60s. Well, because so 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 having that kind of like uh, you know pincushion woman yeah. uh, involved is just going to be part. It was just. Just part of the uh, just part of the background noise, and the fact that he was kneeling her made her, you know, made it, you know, it's it's male fantasy run amok. I guess, but it, it's okay. Well, I, I would say that <laughs> Casino Royale is is a, an exception to that, and he that was his first book. I mean, not not to dispute your point, but just to point out one exception. And then also, it's like he dies. Oh, yeah, no, actually, it was his first book. Absolutely, it was a tester. <laughs> he dies, and then um, Sean Connery retires in '66, I guess. And then right. comes back again for one film for Out of Retirement yes. in 71. And then again, past <coughs> the scope of uh, Finley's in 83 for Never Say Never Again. We'll just discount that. But the point is, um, Connery appearing and reappearing... I saw that three times in the theater, by the way. Um, but, uh, Connery appearing and reappearing, uh, Ian Fleming dying. Um, I, I, I think it, what that does is it kind of allows for something I'm usually not fond of. And that's that, like, I don't... I, I'm fine with any new Bond... I mean, as a concept, I'm fine with any new Bond. I'm fine right. with updates. I'm fine with, you know what I mean? In other words, I think that, that potentially, potentially, um, a Bond post-9-11, a let's say, is bound to potentially be better, if for nothing else, because they, it, the technology's not bizarro. Right, well, the technology's not bizarro also, and, and, and truthfully, like, the Jason Bourne series made them really sort of up their game as far as what they wanted from a Bond now. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it definitely gave us, that de- it definitely gave us the Daniel Craig, uh, right. James Bond. Yes. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think some, even, even uh, Timothy Dalton, who, you know, it's not bad. Yeah. I mean, so. I, you know, I, I, didn't, I honestly haven't had a lot of problems with some of the, you yep. know, Bron- uh, Bron- Bronson was great, was okay. Yep. Pierce Bronson. Brosnan, yeah, Brosnan. Brosnan. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Dalton. I had no problem with Timothy Dalton. Yep. Uh, none of those things. And there's this uh, weird, like, sort of theory going around. That's I don't know if it's actually, you know, in in the canon, uh, so to speak. Which is that basically, James Bond 007 is simply a, a name that could be ascribed to any particular agent. Well, there's a film that w- will go well, yeah, from now. It's that, really that... rather funny. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what you know. Chick, I wonder if it came from that, or yeah, yeah, if yeah. they just if the people do. Sorry, Tom. Talk no more. Talk no more. That's for Patreon subscribers only. For yeah, Patreon descri- subscribers only. But I'm saying that theory is out there. So, which is why that why, why there can be so many bonds in a universe, and they could be so very different. Okay. So, so let me. Uh, I'm just going to weigh in because I know you have a reaction to this. I already know from something you said. I'm going to say boo, this. Boo. <laughs> I kind of surprised myself with this, but um, Sean Connery's not my favorite James Bond. He's not even he's my not. he's not even my favorite John, James Bond before 1980. Really? Okay. And, and I think one of the problems I have with Doctor No, but Sean Connery in general as James Bond, mm-hmm. is that James Bond I think has to have some humanity. 
That's that's why I think Cary Grant would be good. That's why I think David Niven was good. That's why I think George Clooney would be good. Because Sean Connery, what I like about him, and it's kind of what I like from that clip, that that Barbara Walters clip, is the maniacal, um, sort of over-the-top, goofy Sean Connery who's in... Um, what's that movie about Robin Hood from the mid-70s, I forget, who's in the Omega Man, who's in the, the Wind and the Lion, who's in the Man Who Would Be King, the gregarious yeah. bearded. That's the Sean Connery I can get behind. And then again, I can get behind the Sean Connery who's the old crank, like Indiana Jones's father. Or, you know, I can get behind all of those, and it, it, it seems very real to me. The problem with him playing James Bond is he can be suave and sophisticated, but there's zero, like, self-deprecation, humanity. And to yeah. me, that kind of... It takes away from the James Bond character. I don't. I don't hate it by any means. I actually enjoy some of the James Bond films, but to me, it's why I think Roger Moore is a better James Bond. Wow, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna disagree with you on that. I'm not gonna disagree with your fundamental premise on that one. There is a certain. Um, uh, there's a, there's like an arrogance. There's like a Teflon quality that uh, Connery brings to the James Bond role. Yeah. That. Can be, I can see that as being a little off-putting. He's a little too. He's a little too too. Yeah, but it like, also fucking, take a breath and be a human for a minute. But that's he it. doesn't really do that. It's not that he does those things. I can take that because because Roger Moore actually does those things too. It's that he mm-hmm. he doesn't do the other thing. There's no time for him to sort of roll his eyes or go like whoops or something like that. That I think mm-hmm. that Cary Grant would have done and, and Roger Moore does. And so it's sort oh, of like okay. in order for me to appreciate the Superman, I got to believe he's a human being also. And there's nothing about the Connery one that that strikes me that way, although he admirably does the sophisticated, manly stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also and just you know, just like he's just very hyper cool. Whereas Roger yeah. Moore is a much more accessible James Bond. So we uh, shall we move over? Well, I just want to say this last thing about about Sean Connery, which is not his fault. And sorry, Scottish listeners, that accent do not get it for James Bond. It just doesn't. It's yeah, James Bond originally is supposed to be Scottish. No, actually, Ian Fleming changed it after his, he was impressed with Sean Connery. Fact. What's that? Interesting. Okay. All right. I'm going to tell. I'm going to take your word on that. Which, one, by the so way, speak, speaks to Ian Fleming. You know, I mean, I disagree with you, Ian Fleming. I don't You're think, like, who I am I? Think Ian Fleming would, uh, would would spoil the purity of his art in that way, Joseph. Okay. <laughs> it kind of sells. It's selling out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, moving on to uh, Roger Moore. Here's the thing I would say. The, I, here's the thing I would say. It's it's hard for me to. Know. I don't. I don't dislike Roger Moore. Yep. I think he's great. Mm-hmm. I love Roger Moore. He's yeah. fucking charming as shit. He's like. Yeah. You know, if I wanted a stepdad, this would be the guy. Honestly. Yeah. I would say that his movies are much poor, much, much poor movies than the than the original Sean Connery one. I would say the, yeah. I would say this movie is maybe the poorest of his movies, and so it's a hard one for me to particularly press my case. Um, but I don't know that I would agree. It's a really for, fucking just poor movie for the rest they of the movie. They went like fucking over the over the waterfalls in camp immediately. It's a black exploitation film with a James yeah. Bond character inserted into it. They they, they took. They did so many things that were like part of the canon. So the movie we're talking about is called "Live and Let Die," right? which may be one of the better, maybe one of the better soundtracks of yeah. the uh, James Bond uh, canon movies for sure. But um, it's so funny how many how many things they sort of took from the old and so many things they did differently. So, like, I'm wondering, like, are you, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm just wondering, uh, like, what, I want to know what the decision making process was 
uh, for M and Moneypenny going to James Bond's fucking house to send him on a mission? Like, could they just not rent the office space the days that we're shooting that or something like that? Well, because it's meant, there's a couple of things that are meant to happen. One is that uh, it reaffirms Moneypenny's uh, lust for James Bond and her. Oh, she wants that, to, yeah. That she's super jealous of him. In the worst possible fucking way. But that one of the things that like, she attracts her to begin with is his way with other women. Well, uh, yeah, okay, great. But but it's just kind of weird. And we get to see that he has an, uh, he has a, a, at the time, I'm sure it was a very obscure contraption for making espresso. Oh, but also that he, well, there's, that, by the way, is considered the best coffee in the world, you know, by all accounts. It's the coffee that James Bond uses, coincidentally. Ian Fleming's coffee, essentially, is considered the, it's a Blue, Blue Mountain, Jamaica. Oh, Jamaica Blue Mountain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's all, yeah, and you get the corny, magnetized watch and it's like oh my god you know you've been doing this for 11 years and you couldn't think of a better sort of like special effects than these awful <laughs> special effects and, and and how many ways can you fit a magnetized watch into an actual movie yeah a hundred percent and also um <laughs> I'll keep talking for a second tom i gotta check something okay yeah it's, it's uh, that, not it's the the first of the more movies uh first of the more bond movies but not i don't know I don't know. It's got, it's it's a it's a highly problematic movie, as you as Joseph said. It was uh, essentially a black exploitation film. Well, as we talked about it before, has a lot of people in it that you recognize from other better roles. <laughs> Yafet Yafet Koto it comes to mind immediately from Roots, Homicide. I mean, Yafet Koto is amazing. Um, yeah, right. Uh, the guy, who, uh, the guy, uh, the guy who played the the dancing uh, Doctor Samadhi, uh, no Baron Sam- Samadhi in the uh, movie. Uh, he, we saw him on uh, Doctor Doolittle of all things, and oh, yeah. he was also the Seven Up guy later on too. Yeah, don't you feel good about Baha Seven Up? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, this movie starts by the way. Used, here's the funny thing: it's like it's like a, a black exploitation film, and that it's poorly using black actors. Yep. It just has much better black actors than the average exploitation. Agreed. And and but the way the premise starts with the same premise by the way agents go missing it's three agents in three different places and so they they're a little smarter in this one because it gives them it gives james bond a chance to travel around to the different areas and experience different parts of america new york new orleans etc right Uh, uh, and he basically goes to a small island in the caribbean that's essentially jamaica right and and um and it has um i guess the james bond girl in this one is actually um earth um jane seymour Yes, Honey Rider in, in Doctor No was Ursula Andress, right? And this one's Jane Seymour in, in her her film debut. And I guess mm-hmm. she's the James Bond girl, but only I mean, she's working for the enemy, but she she succumbs to to Roger Moore's sweet sweet polyester pants from 1973 and his charm. <laughs> so I guess by default she she's the but worse than even Doctor No, where Doctor No no she just sort of disposes of the Asian um, woman who displeases him. This one. There's a African American stupid person. She oh, it's embarrassing how dumb she is. I forgot about that. But he sleeps with her anyway. He manages to sleep with her, and and then just sort of like literally dispose of her. It's like Michael Caine and Get Carter with the woman in the trunk. Oh, she's the car is sinking into the ocean. Too bad. We just had sex, and 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 so, but but what? But one of the things I like here is, you know, they really they really play up the sort of like the corny the corny like puns. In this one, and oh it, my god, it gives cheeky Ooh. Roger Moore. I, that's I kind of like about it because if you're in to this whole thing, like why hold back? Roger Moore, who grew up like as a, a kind of a tubby little dude, apparently, mm-hmm. and 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 got good looking with a little bit of chub still when he was in the, the 60s doing the Saint. He just maintains that sort of like humanity. Like he he himself can't believe that people think he's cool. 
and yet he does all the cool things, you know? And he's got all the cool lines, and he's good-looking, and he beds the women down. And there's something about that combination I just find so much more compelling as a James Bond. Yeah, but, well, here's the thing. Like, James Bond has sort of the... Uh like I said, with this movie, they really sort of embrace the camp, and they never let go of the camp moving after this. There's always a certain amount of camp involved with the James Bond, but this is them just going for it. And part of that is the, uh, is the, is the not quite nonstop, but nearly so puns go. Yeah, it's very, very <laughs> pun. Because, which is great, because here's the thing. Roger Moore can pull them off. I cannot see Sean Connery really pulling those puns off. I'll talk more. Patreon subscribers will hear more about this later on. But, uh, I believe they shall. Oh, yeah. For your ears only. I'm going to keep doing so, that. So, so, yeah, but, but, but at the same time, this ushered in a whole new sort of thing. Uh, this like, like a whole new kind of an approach to James Bond in a certain sense. Like, so for instance, so many things they, from, from here on out, when Roger Moore took over, there was things they, it was like people made a business decision, like somebody in Hollywood or, you know, the broccoli guy or whatever, uh, looked at it and said, well, that worked. And so they just moved it into the next fucking movie. Yeah. So there's the, uh, it was the DJ Pusser, the, uh, the, the, the Southern sheriff. In this yeah, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is chasing him around, and then suddenly he's in. He, somehow he's on vacation in Vietnam for you know, the man with the golden gun, which is the next movie in the series. Yeah, but I think some of that was um, after Connery retired. There was this effort to to make Bob Hope like um, breaking the fourth wall. You know, Bob Hope would turn to the camera and say, "Can you believe yeah. that? You all heard Bing Crosby say that, right, audience?" And there was a little bit of that. Like, um, as long as we're switching. You know, it's always a mistake if you see a sitcom and they replace a character, but they just never mention it. They just never, like, wait, that's, that, wait, she's a different race. Sure he's working for yeah, yeah, and so, and so I like it when they just acknowledge it and move on in a way I think that's what, what they started doing, is just sort of acknowledging things. And, and, and in a way, again, it's a move I kind of like. And I, I, I have no argument for purists, because I get it. I get why you think Sean Connery's the best. I get why you think... You know things that stuck more to the end, but I just like. I'm gonna say this now, the, relative to that argument right there. Like I yeah. think Moore had fucking had had James Bond for so long that he's his own like canon. Like so, being a purist, when you're a purist, you're a purist one way or the other. Mm, well, but I think because I'm saying I think Moore has a legitimate claim to being to being his own to to, to owning purists. Yep. Yep. Uh, but, but we should talk about the film. So, so it does it does move from city to city. Yafa Koto has a secret organization because he's black. It's not just like a, a wing of Spectre. It's um, uh, uh, an evil empire run by voodoo. Right. That's right. Yeah. Well. 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 But because it's because he's black, yeah. uh, he's selling heroin to mostly black people and voodoo. They're animals anyway. So let them lose so their keeps souls. Him in, so keeps them in check. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> And Jane Seymour is, it's no accident that Jane Seymour, possibly the whitest woman in the history of white women, is his voodoo goddess who, who reads the tarot cards. It's, you know, it's a little bit of pocket full of miracles, Apple Annie, right? My lucky apple, my tarot card reader. But it's like the white virgin that <laughs> Yafa Koto. And it's sort of like, you know, but what works, what actually works is this is unlike other James Bond characters, and maybe because they played so heavily on like race and black exploitation, Roger Moore, or this particular James Bond, you see, he has a little bit more respect for, like there's a camaraderie almost between them or, as rivals. Uh, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like they kind of play back and forth a little more. Um, and, and I think James Bond is in a little more peril than, than James Bond usually is in. And, and there's also average stuff. 
you know, like fighting alligators. <laughs> yeah, that took all of 30 seconds, and they want to just walk on across. Well, I just mean by average stuff. I mean, like, there's something yeah, about... I know it's ridiculous, but there's something about like fighting an alligator that just is, still seems more believable than fighting like I don't know a gem that's going to set off a moonbeam to the sun that will make this building explode or the typical you know like sort of yeah. um, what do you call those machines a Rube Goldberg machine of like of, <laughs> of Bond dying. These just seem to yeah, be but like. You a, but, but, but you cut into like uh, just you, you spend like five minutes establishing how badass these alligators are, and then like the solution. Yeah, it's it's a there's a, a lot of ridiculousness in here. In some ways, I guess, um, even though it's not a, I think it's an overrated sort of campy movie. To some degree, this this is the Roadhouse James Bond, <laughs> and I like it. For some yeah, reason, okay, I like fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, so the, it was a Red Dawn of James Bond. Movie. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a movie that you enjoy without having anything it's not defensible it, it isn't really defensible but I enjoy it and in a weird way if we had chosen let's say um, You Only Live Twice or Goldfinger and then maybe like um, The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker or Moonraker we would have actually put up films two films we admire more in, in, in terms of the, the Connery versus uh, right. uh, more thing but we were wise to choose their first ones because it's also like how they're establishing themselves yeah, no, absolutely. I think so. I, I think from that standpoint, and and it, and I think it bears a fair comparison between the two as well. Yeah. So you know, first, I, first and first, and sort of establishing where they're going to go from there, and then both of them sort of going those fucking directions all the way. I, I think this this is a, but there's a famous uh, chase scene that ends up in a jump over the sheriff. Um, yes. I th- I want to say that's the one where someone died. During a James really? movie, I think it was it was either it was a jump, and it might have been that jump. Yeah, well, it's not surprising. That's a weird sort of scenario. I mean, they're never going to just jump cars, right? Boring. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but wait, I, is this also like is this movie also the the birth of the clownish uh, Southern sheriff? Nah, they've had that for a long time. Even Deliverance, the year before, was you know because there's always because this one like they were always terrifying before. This is the this is the first one I can really sort of point at and go that was that guy is pure camp. Well, that's going to lead us to Boss Hog at some point. Or uh, uh, give me a Dr Pepper and a Diablo sandwich to go and make it hurry. I'm gonna be, be quick. I'm gonna goddamn hurry. Jackie Gleason and and. Uh, Oh yeah, you can Jackie that. Gleason watched this movie like <laughs> he kept, kept rewinding to get his part just right. For yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I think it's clear. I'm I'm Team Roger Moore and your Team Sean Connery, but we both can agree that they're a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, they're a lot of fun. I think as movies go, I think Doctor No is sort of better as a movie. You miss you, um, as whether or not it's more entertaining is sort of up to your taste at that point. Either one, yeah. either one is worth. You mispronounce "live and let die," but I just will go watch "live and let die" because it'll also probably horrify you more. Yeah, and I would actually <laughs> say racism is much more overtly there. If I'm going to pick a Roger Moore movie, I'd say go see um, "The Spy You Love Me." No, I mean, yeah, "The Spy You Love Me," and then if I were to pick a, doc, a uh, Sean Connery movie, I guess I, I would say. Um, Diamonds are forever, but I just have I have a particular love for that. You know, thank for that. Yeah, I don't know. But I think uh, if I go, like, that's an interesting question. I can't. I don't know that I could tell you more. Might be the might be the spy who loved me, just because I think that was the first one I was old. The first James Bond movie I was old enough to watch in a drive-in. Um, as far as um, Connery, I think Goldfinger. Honestly, Goldfinger. Howard Stern had that. Uh, uh, what's that? Howard Stern had that show, Son of the Beach. Do you remember that in the 90s? 
Oh, and there, there was a uh, um, a villain. Uh, it was played by Frank Sinatra Jr. and it was Stinkfinger. Stinkfinger. <laughs> God bless Howard. The Howard sort of twenty years ago. There was something about that show. It had its own <laughs> charm esque. Yeah, and and repulsion for sure. But yeah. all right, Tommy. Uh, listen, if do you have more? No, I think that's it. Roger Wrap Moore. It up. Okay, uh, if you are interested in becoming a Patreon subscriber, we're really pushing out a lot of Patreon episodes right now for some reason. We have more time on our hands. Uh, you can become a Patreon uh, subscriber for $5 a month and have access to probably twice or three, three times or maybe even more monthly Patreon episodes at this point and, of course, access to the archive. And we're heading toward 40 pretty soon of those. Yeah, we're pretty close. I think I want to say we might be like one away, two away. That'd be 38 saying We're at 38, 39. <laughs> we're, at, we're at about one from 100. Um, and then, Tom, you have a new uh, website which highlights your comedy. Yeah, I'm working. Uh, it's not, I'm not quite done with it yet. I finally got everything in place. Tell me about some of the done. events you have on there. What's that? Tell me about some of the events you have up there. I have no events up there right now, dummy. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be TomSmithComedy.com. It should hopefully it'll be it should be up by the end of the. I, I want to say week, but I'll say definitely by the end of the month. Okay, alrighty, and also we'd love to hear comments from you. If you can send them to Finley's on film at gmail.com and then rate review us on iTunes if you have the capacity. Great to have you listening to us, Tommy. I love you. Love you. Bye bye. Bye bye.